Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 44 of Saving the Game, Oaths and Vows, with your hosts, Peter and Brandon. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Peter. And I'm all alone here with Peter. Also known as Brandon. We are missing Grant today, and we will probably be missing Grant for at least the next couple of episodes. Unfortunately, he has come down with Bell's palsy, which means that the right side of his face is currently paralyzed. The good news is, is this is temporary, and he will get over it eventually. And if not, I'm replacing him with a speaking spell. Yes. Until he does get over it, though, we will be Grantless, which means that you might be looking at some shorter and more rambly episodes than usual. But we're going to try and hold the fort while he's out. The good news is he is able to speak. It's just a lot more difficult and tedious than it normally is. So we're giving him a break from podcasting, which is nothing but talking. And in all seriousness, Grant, despite the jokes I have made, get better. We're we're going to miss you mightily and we're praying for your speedy recovery. And humor is how I make people feel better. So feel better. Yeah, please. Happier news, we have a new logo, as some of you may have already noticed. Thanks to Ruben Guy Smith Semple, also known as Save vs. DM on the Fear the Boot forums. He offered to do this for us while I was down at Fear the Con, and he has done an amazing job. So check out our new logo, and if you need a good graphic artist, he would be a very good place to start. He is also really nice to work with. He's a really great guy. I met him when I went to Fear the Con 4. I think we shared a car ride to the airport. He's a really great guy. He's really cool. He was in two of my slots down there, and he's a lot of fun to hang out with. Also, Crossroads Nexus number 2 Monsters just released... Well, the day we're recording this, actually, I was on that one. If you're anxious to hear more content from me for some odd reason, there's a place to find it. It was also a very interesting discussion. A lot of good points got made. Check it out. There's a lot of other kind of neat geeky faith podcasts out there, and you get to hear kind of a sampling of people from different ones on that show. So indeed, very much worth a listen. And hopefully when Peter isn't on the next one, he won't curse it like he seems to do with our podcast. How do I curse our podcast? You were gone, and now Grant, I mean, like, <laughs> I'm blaming you. Just Yeah, the last one was the first aired episode I've missed, and now Catastrophe has happened. Yes. So apparently <laughs> I'm some kind of bizarre guardian presence over podcasts, but I can't go away ever or the bad stuff gets in. Or you're some, like, jealous spirit you don't want us to record without you. Yes. Right, because that totally matches my personality. That makes complete sense. You're just hiding and in waiting. Uh Uh-huh. Just gonna let that hang in the silence for a few moments there. In all seriousness, though, this is just my grand scheme to eventually take over the podcast. (laughs) Pay no attention to the words I'm saying now. You're the editor. You've already taken over the podcast. I know. (laughs) Isn't it glorious? So why are you scheming to do something that you've already done? Because when you have a little power, you always want more. I'm gonna let that hang in the air for a few seconds, too. (laughs) (laughs) Before you do that, I do want to make one final announcement. I have actually started a job. Excellent. What are you doing? I am an assistant instructor for Black Rocket, which is a summer camp program for kids. We're teaching them how to make video games. They also teach kids how to do film production, which is what I wanted to be doing 
But they said, oh, you play video games too? Help teach these classes. So I'm a camp counselor, teacher person, and it's kind of fun. And I like it. So hopefully I can still stay here and it doesn't eat my life. Well, I'm glad you've got a good paying gig. That's always mm -hmm. a good thing. I will be very sad if you have to leave the podcast, especially since you're our editor. Mm -hmm. And I wish you all the best, but not so much good stuff that it interferes with your ability to help us out. <laughs> because I'm selfish that way. Ha! See, the truth comes out. I knew it! Yes, truly, I am a sinister presence of evil darkness. Indeed. You hide it very well. But on with scripture. This first verse is Numbers 32. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. And the next is Judges 11, verses 30 to 32, and 34 to 35. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give me the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors to my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. Then Jephthah came to his home in Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to beat him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. The last one we have is Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. Again you have heard it said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Tonight our topic, as you probably gathered from our scripture, is oaths and vows. As we are usually want to do, I, we're going to spend some time defining this. This was from David Reagan. He has a very nice summary of this. An oath is a solemn declaration, typically, but not always, with something or someone important as a sort of material witness, that the task, the oath-bearer, will perform, will be performed. Something like, I swear on my father's sword that I will do blank. Or I swear on my life that I will do blank. Or I swear before the Lord that I will do blank. This can be as simple as telling the truth, which is a oath we've seen today in courtrooms when you put your hand on the Bible and solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Or it could be as conquest, um, or it can be an oath as complex as to conquer a kingdom. Then there's also vows, which are both a noun and a verb in scripture, therefore sometimes kind of confusing. These are specifically promises made to the Lord. Generally involves dedicating oneself or something else, a personal or material possession, to an act, service, or way of life. Jephthah's daughter or Samson's mother vowing that her son will be a Nazarene or taking vows to enter a monastery or abbey, or, in the modern world, marriage vows. Committing yourself before God and witnesses to take care of the other person and walk through life with them, come what may. And then there's a third one on here, pledges. 
That one's meaning has changed over time. It's now commonly used as a verb, but in scripture, pledge is almost always used as a noun, referring to sort of collateral attached to an oath or vow. Essentially, this was something put up as a guarantee that a given oath or vow would be carried out. Now it's more just kind of a word for promise. So pledging money for church projects or missions, it's a modern practice that goes all the way back to acts. Pledging has also kind of seen a resurgence now with actually the whole idea of crowdfunding. I think it also comes in with things like promise rings and stuff. People pledging to abstain from sexual activity before marriage. The the crowdfunding thing is a really good example of a secular use where people say, you know, I will give you this amount of money and in return you take all the money that me and all these other people who have also agreed to give you this money give you and go and make this awesome thing or do this awesome thing that we want you to do. Actually, now that I think about it, there's another pledge, specifically the Pledge of Allegiance. I want to know what your thoughts on this one are. I mean, I remember being in school not too long ago, and when I was in high school, having to say this, it's a sort of a compulsory pledge drilled into us. So. That pledge is actually closer to an oath of fealty. It's basically publicly announcing your loyalty to your nation. I'm a fairly patriotic sort, so I didn't really have too much trouble with it. I know it makes some people uncomfortable. I know the theological language in there makes a lot of people, including some Christians, very uncomfortable because it kind of binds following God and following the United States together. And you can definitely point at various times in history, which we very specifically will not go into because we try and stay at least mostly apolitical on this podcast, where those clearly were not the same thing. We can be a little historical and mention that the words under God were added I believe, during the Cold War or around World War II. I think it was sometime during the 1950s. My recollection is it was specifically put there to combat the rise of communism, which was seen as godless. So we are one nation under God. Before it was just one nation indivisible with liberty and justice. For According to Google, in 1954, at President Dwight D. Eisenhower's urging, Congress legislated that under God be added I'm guessing that, yeah, as you're saying, that was probably anti-communistic motivations. So we've covered the Pledge of Allegiance, and we've also mentioned marriage vows. What are some other modern versions of vows that we have around today? Well, there's monastic vows, monks and nuns swearing vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. I don't want to say common, but that's a very prominent example. It's a very popular one that people would know of. I can definitely think of some oaths. I mean, there's the oath of service that soldiers will take, and also there are similar ones that emergency services professionals like police will take. The most popular being the Hippocratic Oath of Doctors First Do No Harm. That actually I was going to put in a different category because that's a code of professional ethics as opposed to oh. like a, a loyalty thing. They're closely related, but they're not quite the same in my mind. I mean, if you disagree, we can certainly talk that out. Well, see, I'm trying to understand and try to see your viewpoint, because admittedly, while you mentioned that you were a mostly patriotic person who didn't really mind the whole Pledge of Allegiance, I was a snot-nosed kid who just wrote and memorized it and just repeated it without even thinking about the words I was saying. I was saying it because I had to, I stood up there, and that's sort of what I'm going through with these is I'm I'm actually trying to grasp a lot of these and now right in this very podcast become a more fully formed adult and human and understand the world around me. I, I think in all of these cases, and I would definitely include the Pledge of Allegiance in this, along with the Hippocratic Oath and the Oaths of Service, 
The idea is kind of like a very soft and kind of voluntary, in some cases, form of indoctrination. Yeah. Have you ever seen Kingdom of Heaven? I can't remember if I have or not, so probably no. And there's a younger knight who's going through the process of becoming a knight. He says his vows, and then the older one hits him across the face with like this little section of knotted rope. As soon as he finishes saying his oath, the older knight says, no, that is your oath, and then the whack, he says, and this is so you don't forget it. And the idea is that Oaths are something that are worth remembering and that sometimes you'll even repeat to yourself on a regular basis to keep that in mind. Doctors in the Hippocratic Oath swear to do no harm. Soldiers in their oath of service, they swear that they're going to be loyal to their country and that they're going to fight as hard as they can for it. Basically, it's the same kind of thing, although it's more specific and the language is different, as the Pledge of Allegiance. Police officers swear to uphold justice and to be impartial and fair in their dealings with the public. Essentially, what these modern oaths are doing is they're saying, I promise that I will hold these important priorities in my mind as I'm going about this important task. You mentioned indoctrination, but to put a gentler, more friendly spin on it, it could almost be a sort of meditation on the job you must do, the task you have been called to do. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's really interesting. Of course, there is a dangerous side to these oaths and vows and pledges that it seems to be shown in the Bible a whole lot. A lot of the verses we read up there were not very kind to it. And whenever I think of vows, specifically biblical vows, I always think of the story of Jephthah, which is something that I heard as a child from an Adventures in Odyssey episode about a warrior who went off to fight the enemy and just kind of using prayer as a vending machine. I promise that I will give you whatever comes out of the door of my house. And an important thing, what I learned partially from attending Bible college and partially from the Adventures in Odyssey episode, is that a lot of the times animals are stored in the house to be safe, or they were stored around in the house complex. So when he's talking about what comes from the door of my house, it's not like nowadays, well, the house is for people. The house was for cattle and goats. He was intending that whatever animal runs out to me when I get back, I'll kill it as a burnt offering, give it up to you. And instead, it's his daughter. And I've seen a lot of debate over whether or not she is actually sacrificed as a burnt offering. And to me, I was always taught that she was not actually sacrificed as a burnt offering because of some weirdness with the translation of conjunctive words and, and possibly meaning or in certain cases. And instead, she was just given over to the service of the Lord. And part of the claims for this is that in a couple verses later, she asks to go out and mourn her virginity, not her loss of life. She's asked to mourn the fact that she will never marry and never have kids and thus never carry on her father's line because, in fact, she was his property. In the biblical times, women were the property of their fathers before they were given to their husbands. And that is why she is bemoaning the fact that she will never be able to leave her father's service, basically, because he has sworn her to the Lord. Well, I mean, in either case, it's not a happy story. Oh, no, it's not. The best case scenario is sad, and the worst case scenario is horrifying. Yeah. So either way, it's it's a cautionary tale. Which, mentioned in the New Testament, Jesus just reinforces with his, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and whatever else comes from the evil one. 
don't swear these oaths because a lot of times they can come back to hurt you. <laughs> or people close to you. Yes. Well, I think it hurt both people close to him and him because, as I mentioned in there, he said he was laid low. He tore his clothes. Yeah. He came back a winner. He and came back a winner and arrived a loser. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it was, fate, God, coincidence conspired to make him just, no, you should not have said this. This is not something that you needed to say you did not have faith in me to help you without this and so this is the price you pay and there are plenty other stories of things gone awry in literature and in stories and movies a lot of times a villain will have an oath or a code that makes them a whole lot more interesting because it's free storytelling advice a villain that has a motivation that the audience members can kind of get behind or go, well, I see his point, makes a whole lot more interesting villain than one who is just crazy. I think we've probably defined it pretty well at this point. Should we dig into some of the gaming applications? When I think about gaming, the first thing I think of when oaths or promises comes in is the Fae, because I play Monster Hearts, I play Dresden Files, and in both Monster Hearts and Dresden Files, Words and promises made to the Fae are really, really terrible. They take what you say at face value and even twist it sometimes. It's every bad wish that every player character has ever made, only they aren't using the spell, they're just talking to someone. And if they happen to say the wrong word, well, you literally have suddenly someone's intestines are inside out. Yeah. I'll be a monkey's uncle. Okay, zap. <laughs> now you're a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely one kind of dark way of using them, but I've seen them in D&D too, where they're just a magically enforced promise. Mm -hmm. We've actually also got something from Grant here. There's Gaius's that are a magically enforced promise, especially a promise enforced through someone else's magic. Is that an oath or a curse? Yes. And I really think probably the answer to that question is what were the circumstances under which that was placed on you? Did you do that voluntarily as a kind of magical compulsion filling the role of a pledge in scripture? Or was that something that was placed on you completely against your will and now you're just going to start having horrible magic things happen to you if you don't do it? I think it's probably the latter, especially since it looks like he's tying that to my little reference of the Fae here. Like I said, it can be both. I've seen that used as something that heroes will voluntarily take on to keep themselves on the path, but it definitely does seem a little more cursy, unless, I suppose, you're using some variant of it where it not only penalizes you if you don't do it, but it gives you bonuses while you're working on it and helps you along. I don't know that there's anything like that in any game system I've ever seen, although now I kind of want to add something like that to one. The closest I would have seen to this is Aspects in Fate, where if you take the aspect, I have a code of honor. Or you could even say, I swore a vow to whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You will get bonuses for following the code of honor. You can spend your chips to do things that would follow your code of honor, but you can also be compelled to follow your code of honor in situations that you don't want to. I had this actually happen for one of my characters. She was in a game of mine playing a champion of Tear, and one of her aspects was about a personal code that she had to follow. And one of this code was she had to accept parlay from monster creatures or anyone who begged for mercy. And there was a couple times where either things accidentally begged for mercy because they were being tortured by other player characters, 
or they knew about her oath and were saying, oh, Parley, you have to put down your sword now because I'm about to be a Nicodemus and completely use your silly little vow against you. So I'm obviously going to betray you, but in order for you to keep your word, you have to lay down your sword. Okay. That gave her a couple story penalties in the game because she had to act in certain ways. And when she did, of course, she got a chip, which was an in-game penalty. And it gave her a couple story rewards. Wait, the chip is an in-game penalty? I thought they were bonuses in Fate. A little explanation of Fate here. Whenever something bad happens to you, you get a reward if it's tied to one of your aspects. Okay, so it's the things that happened in game were a penalty, but she gets the fate chip as a compensation for yes. it. I gotcha. And whenever she does something good in the game... That gets a bonus from one of those, I'm guessing she has to spend one, right? Yeah, that's sort of the closest thing that I have seen. She did swear the oath to her god, but it also was something that caused her great problems going forward because... She had to act in certain ways. She couldn't just go around and be carefree, which was what her opposite antagonistic person, Card Thorson, who was the champion of Thor, who was more carefree and lol, and I'm going to do whatever I want. Well, that fits well with the character of both of those characters. Grant mm-hmm. also has one in here that I thought was worth mentioning. Medieval knights were known to swear fairly ridiculous oaths when a major military campaign... Uh, either due to feudal obligations or as part of a crusade, was brewing. English and French knights, for example, would swear not to shave their beard, take a bath, sleep under the same roof twice until a particular city was conquered or the Scots were subdued or whatever major goal was released. As you can imagine, that probably got a little unpleasant. Martyr Oaths promised, for example, that the knight would not know the pleasures of a woman's company and other more agreeable pledges. At that time, I would probably be big about the swearing not to eat chicken until the crusade was over. (laughs) What? Well, you know, you just pick one form of protein and be like, nope, I cannot eat chicken until this crusade is done. I wouldn't do that. I love chicken. I do too, but it's a lot better than not bathing. Of course, they weren't really big on bathing back then either, so. Yeah. I think they probably ate more chicken than they bathed. Probably. (laughs) And that would make the oath much more fitting then. They would be like, wow. That guy only gave up bathing, but he, he gave up chicken until this was over. (laughs) He's really serious, man. I would never give up chicken. I just give up pork. I will not eat pork until this is over. I think you're not allowed to vow not to do something you wouldn't do anyways. (laughs) I swear not to assassinate the king and burn down the capital until this is over. (laughs) You wouldn't do that anyways. Quiet you. No, no. Now he's just made an oath. That once this is over, he has to assassinate the king and burn down no, the capital. No, no, he has made an oath that frees him up to assassinate the king and burn down the capital. <laughs> You're not going to do that. I like to keep my options open. All right, so commented here, it says that Arthurian legends feature similar oaths to recover the grail or accomplish other mighty deeds. Was that something you put in here, Peter? No, I think that was also more grand. While he's not on the mic, he is definitely in the outline, which is something I am very grateful for. He does have a good point here that they can be disadvantages for starting characters. It gives you both a quirk or a personality trait and then an obligation for GMs to kind of hang plots on and cause complications in your life with. So that's generally a pretty good thing. Mentioning that actually brought me back to another story I told where a friend of mine played a gnome cleric of Garl Glitter Gold. And characters sort of went awry, and the god kind of forced him to make an oath to become 
the greatest champion ever. I guess suppose it was less an oath and more the god just saying, I am swearing that I am going to make you my greatest champion ever to prove how great I am because of how much of a colossal mess up you are now. This happened after the cleric had basically assassinated another member of their order in the temple of their order because he gave that other member a magic item that he didn't know was magic at the time. Okay, so wait, this is basically the deity saying, you are such a screw-up that me fixing you will prove my power to everyone? Yes. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It was the only way I could see to make the character playable and still a cleric. Because I had thrown other characters in jail for their actions, like lying to guards to get in front of the king, and then trying to start a rebellion in the city. Because the guards were so mean. That is really hilarious and kind of awesome. Not going to (laughs) lie. It devolved (laughs) and eventually there was a planned deus ex machina of a goddess coming there and calling them all together and getting them out of whatever they were in to send them on this quest that she wanted and she had appeared to them earlier. So This does lead into something else that we've got here that I think would be good to touch on. Mm -hmm. These oaths and vows... They provide a good way to get the party into situations that they otherwise might want to avoid. Really, it seems like no matter who makes them, which is a good way of kind of forcing people to get back into the adventure. I know sometimes, particularly in more dangerous or horror campaigns, you're going to get a lot of player characters, or actually I would say even people who've just played with a bad GM one too many times, where the players are going to get paranoid, they're going to circle the wagons, they're going to do everything with extreme caution, and as a result, the story is, well, it might not stop, but it'll definitely grind down to a speed where it's no longer fun. You're going to be describing everything in excruciating detail as you poke every individual floor tile with the 10-foot pole at maximum extension before traveling forward an inch and doing it again. I think having something that obligates you to just kind of go forth and do things probably is a good way of making them confront people that they wouldn't otherwise confront, talk to people that they wouldn't otherwise talk to. If there's what looks like is going to be a losing battle and you have the option not to participate in it, you probably will as a player character. They tend to be very pragmatic and stuff. However, if you have to be there because you've promised you would and possibly it's even magically enforced... Well, then maybe the player characters will show up for that battle and they'll sway it by their presence. I was exaggerating about the dungeon, by the way. But it sounded exactly like my players in the one dungeon that I dropped them into, or the second dungeon that I did in my year of playing a Pathfinder game. At first I started playing it up a little bit, but eventually backed off when, like, it got so slow with them testing doors, I turned the handle, nothing happens. I poke it with a stick. Nothing happens. I poke it with another stick made of a different kind of wood, just to be sure. Nothing (laughs) happens, Bob. I guess, I think the dwarf (laughs) ended up just going, okay, I'm kicking indoors. Like, we're leaving. (laughs) Was this the Y2112 game, or was this something else? This was the Y2112. Okay. And we've had people and characters in the game that were scared that I was trying to just TPK the party or things like that. These are kind of things that can appear at the gaming table and can cause a whole lot of joy and pain and sorrow, and greatness. And you also have to realize the fact that player characters cannot and will not be controlled, ever. You think that, well, they've made this oath, they've made this promise, they have to be here. You can expect that some player character is going to be an oily snake, 
and try to slither out of it. And you can expect also the opposite, that when you put the most hopeless, terrible, you're going to all perish situation that you want them to run away from, they might stand and hold the line. And the thing is, even if they're doing stuff just to avoid being led around by the nose, which a lot of people will do in a gaming context... Something is still happening, right? Oh, yeah. It's a good way of combating stagnation. You might not be able to control which way the river's flowing, but at least it's not pooling up and growing algae. Which is always good, because we have to adapt. Because you will be throwing things that you never expected. And your best bet is to take it and say, okay, how can I make this horrible? And throw it back at the players. So couple of other uses that we've got in kind of a gaming context here there's oaths of vengeance they figure pretty prominently into every kind of media and pretty much every age i think they're a little played out as a character motivation you tend to kind of wind up with i'm batman well i swore an oath of vengeance uh, i'm gonna stab everybody kind of pcs and i don't know i would disagree for the simple fact that yes if they're played straight they're kind of played out and they're kind of boring and you probably should go somewhere else. But anything can be twisted and turned on its head and found into something interesting. Sure, I don't disagree with that, but it takes a little more work when something is... If this isn't a cliche, it's awfully darn close. It takes a character who is knowing that they are playing a trope, but is actively subverting it in some way. Or they're playing something else that adds spice and flavor to the trope that makes it different that you have never seen before or you have not seen a lot of. Sure, like you have somebody who's sworn an oath of vengeance but is also a complete pacifist. Mm -hmm. That even extends to actively harming their foe in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So the best revenge is living well thing. They have to go out and create this wonderful life for themselves and then somehow bring it to their enemy's notice. You saying that made me think of a character that I played. It was my first 4E character ever. He was a a Aladrin. And in this person's homebrew world, humans stole magic from the Eladrin because the humans were originally their slaves. And so my character had this very haughty, humans are somewhat beneath me viewpoint. And he wanted to get revenge on this mage's tower, which was this old, old institution that had nothing to be part of. And he wanted to get it because of the mages, because getting revenge on a single human was just completely unsatisfying. It was like stepping on a bug. Okay. Because he was going to live thousands of years longer, but this organization was brought from something that was from way back in his history, and it was the last remnant of these groups. And so he had sort of sworn this vengeance, and he wasn't going to go out and just kill these people, but his goal was to lead another nation to conquer their city. He was going to do it entirely behind the scenes, because that was how he was trained. He was a a thief, a spy master, who was trained to gather information and to play politics. So he was not going after it in his very forward sense of, I have my sword and I will see his blood on my sword. He's like, no, I'm just going to motivate this other nation to go to war with you and set them up so that they'll win the war. Okay. And then when you fall, my vengeance is seen and I have not dirtied my hands at all. Which is a little interesting take on it because it's not completely all-consuming bloodlust. Which I think is probably what we would both agree is one of the things that's really played out about a lot of the player character types that would have this. Is It's like, well, I've taken this vow and I'm going to pursue it in the most unsubtle, straightforward, and let's be honest, violent 
way possible. These tend to be D&D style characters. And... All right, I'm going to argue against the whole D&D style characters. Because as I've said, I've played D&D games where you've had interesting characters that have done really amazing things. So have I. But the stereotype exists for a reason, I guess, is all I'm trying to say. The stereotype should exist for a reason. It's a role-playing game. Role-play. I know. But we live in the world that is, not the one we wish there was. We game in it, too, unfortunately. <laughs> but I can continue to cry and rent clothes and gnash teeth until the world changes. And indeed podcast. <laughs> yes. I have a bully pulpit and I am going to preach. <laughs> um, isn't that what you've been doing for roughly the last 40 minutes? Yes. Just saying. Okay, so do we have anything else that we want to cover on this topic before we wrap this one up? Uh, not really. I can't really think of something that would be needed to say more than that. For the first time, the warning about a short episode will actually prove to be accurate on saving the game. <laughs> oh no, I'll just like cut in like a whole bunch of Robo Grant responses. <laughs> Yes, and the sound of random things being stacked in yards and stuff for no readily apparent reason. <laughs> Why does it sound like a shipyard for the entire last three and a half hours of this four-hour podcast? Brady put in a song in the middle of it. It's just like... Three hours of shipyard footage <laughs> cut up with bad British pop songs or something for no readily apparent and reason. And Brandon sings the songs of Frozen. <laughs> okay then let all right go, folks before we get too punchy go, i think we're gonna leave you there so slam the door. oh boy there he goes <laughs> I don't care. have a good night everybody thanks for listening let the storm rage on the cold never bothered me anymore. this podcast episode is a production of saving the game and may be redistributed under a creative commons non-commercial non-derivative license so long as appropriate credit is given our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.